On the 25th of May 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black American man, was killed by a white police officer. The officer knelt on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. In response, 14 black and Asian British writers came together. This is the result. I witnessed a murder by Eddie Bozio, performed by Tamara Lawrence. Whenever I have to wait, I'm on it. Scrolling and liking, scrolling and liking. Mo Salah, like. Jeannie Walnabdum, mm-hmm, like. Virgil van Dyke, oh yes. I like. It's funny because I feel as if I have to like every single Liverpool post or else we won't win the Prem. Not that I'm superstitious, of course. Ooh. Oh, it still gives me chills. Retweet that. Scrolling and liking, scrolling and liking, scrolling it. Dangerous health threats. Not today, Satan. Please. Not today. Cha, scrolling and liking, scrolling and liking. Hey, what's this? Black man down, face down on the street again. White cop kneeling in his back again. I'm tired of this shizzle, man. Moving on. Wow. The white cop's kneeling on his neck. Wait, he's, he's not resisting. Let him up. There's another cop. Smaller, Asian-American. Embarrassed, scared maybe. A bit aggressive. The white cop's kneeling on the black guy's neck. The black guy's body's behind the vehicle, but I can see what's going on. The, the white cop just keeps on with his glassy-eyed stare and twists his knee tighter into the black man's neck. Why? Well, I'm waiting for the backup cops to arrive and pile in, because they always do. I'll wait to see when the guy's hauled up. He'll be battered, take a few licks before they throw him in the van as usual. Maybe he'll get a few punches in as well. Seen it often enough. <sighs> Time to move on. Wait, the guy on the ground is talking, squirming, I can hear him, he's, he's saying, I can't breathe. Well, let him up, dude, he said he can't breathe. <sighs> he's enjoying it. Look at him, he's got his hands in his pockets like he's just chilling. Sinister. How long's it been? Yeah, now the small cop's looking across. Anxious, he must be thinking the same. Well, he'll move over and he'll... He'll, he'll move over and he'll get his colleague off, surely. But no. He's hypnotised. Like me, he's afraid. Of his colleague? Of the crowd that's gathering? 
He's out of his depth. Protect and serve, dude. Protect and serve. Where's the backup to end all of this? I wonder what I would do. I can imagine rushing the cop, pushing him off, getting a few whacks. That's if they didn't shoot me. But at least this, this, this would be over. The knee continues to be twisted. Hands stay in pockets. The empty stare. There's a woman present, filming, angry. The man on the ground stops moving. I can see he is not moving. There's a there's a trickle of something beneath the car. Blood or oil? Everyone's stuck. Transfixed by the horror of the scene as if frozen in time. Ah, oh, check his pulse, bro. Check his pulse. His head is still. I realise he's dead or dying. A human life ebbs away, ends on screen. Before my very eyes, he died. I've witnessed a murder. 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 Murder, the word reverberates inside my head, flashes before my eyes. I don't like. I don't like. I don't like. I don't tweet. I don't scroll. I witnessed a murder. I See Three by Nathaniel Martello White, performed by Kirsty Bushell. Uh-huh. 
Africa. Which part, sir? Well, isn't it all the same? I don't know. The, the, the South? The South always knows best. Like our South. The, the, the Southerners know how to tow a hard line. I'm... I'm... I don't know why I'm unhappy. I don't know exactly what is making me unhappy, but I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that he's just sitting there, breathing. Staring. Smiling. Why do they get to have it all? Fong Li by David K.S. Tsai, performed by Tuyen Do. My name is Yua Vang Li. I'm 59 and live in Minneapolis. I'm part of the Hmong community from Laos. In 2006, a white police officer killed my son with eight bullets in the back. That was 14 years ago. I thought I buried my pain, my tears, along with my boy. But when George Floyd was killed by the same police force, all my anger, my grief, my fury came flooding back. Every black life killed by the cops, Every Latino, every Hmong, always bring it back. May 25th was different. Cop usually kill quickly. A struggle, then a hell of bullet. I've never seen someone kill over such a long time. 8 minutes, 46 seconds. George Floyd said, I can't breathe. 16 times. They didn't listen. When he called out, plead, and cried for his mama, they didn't listen. And when onlooker said George had lost consciousness and they should measure his pulse, they still didn't listen. Derek Chauvin sadistically and stubbornly knelt on George Floyd's neck until emergency medical services asked him to move. There was another officer on his back, also making it hard for George to breathe, and a third officer on his leg. I was shaking with rage. Get off him! I shouted at the television. When I saw... The fourth officer protecting his colleagues and not helping George was Hmong American? I curse him for bringing shame to our community. I told my daughter I have to go. I have to march to support George Floyd's family. Despite coronavirus, I wear a mask. I want the family to know that I'll grieve with them. 
I sympathize and I'm sending them love. When my son, Fong, was murdered, the first people who came to show their support for my family were from the black community. They understood what it was like to lose a son to police brutality. When Officer Jason Anderson murdered my son, Fong was only 19. I remember it as if it were yesterday. July 22nd was a warm, sunny day. He went on a bike ride with friends but ended up dead. One bullet exploded his heart. A grand jury decided not to indict Anderson and the police said the shooting was justified because they claimed my son had a gun. We challenged this in a civil court. We sued for excessive force. From the surveillance camera, it's clear my son was running for his life. You can see my boy didn't have a gun. Witnesses said Anderson knocked Fong off his bike with a squad car. So of course, he got spooked and ran. No shots were fired from my son's supposed gun. He posed no danger to the cop whatsoever. Like Cho Van's knee, this was white supremacy. We had an all-white jury. I didn't know about unconscious bias back in 2006, but now my children have taught me. The jury and the court treated us so badly. We were still at lunch when the jury decided my son was guilty and gave their verdict early without us. They were cowards. So what the judge. I screamed and collapsed. My children and husband caught me. That was how little respect they had for my family. I've been in America since 1988, where people are supposedly equal under the law. Was that really American justice? I found out recently that Anderson is still working for the Minneapolis police as the chaplain coordinator. Ha! Huh. Maybe he needs daily forgiveness to atone for his sins. Fourteen years have passed, but Anderson still hasn't apologized. He's insulting God and the memory of my son. I joined the Hmong for Black Life March and spoke passionately in my own language. My daughter translated it for me. We have to join hands with the Floyds. We come here to beg for justice and righteousness. Families across racial and ethnic lines, Hmongs and Asian Americans included, must come together as one to speak out and to support those voices that have been taken away from us. This fight is a fight for humanity. I want justice for George Floyd and his family.
I want Black Lives Matter to change everything in our criminally damaged system. I want to see white supremacy dismantled so we're all equal before God. And I want justice for my son, Fong Lee. I wept openly, and many others joined me, even though they didn't understand the Hmong language. Someone took the mic after me and said, You don't need to understand Hmong to know what this pain feels like. by Avril E. Russell, performed by Sherelle Skeet. The first time I was involved with the cops, they came round my house to tell us that they had picked up my big brother on suspicion of being a serial rapist. He was 12. They needed someone to come to the station to collect him and they had to come to the house because we didn't have a phone back then. My brother might have been six foot tall with a massive afro, but he was playing in the streets on his way home from a comprehensive school, in his school uniform, with a bunch of his little friends wearing the same uniform. They scooped him up and they put him in the car and drove him to the station for questioning. Rape. I don't think he had ever even kissed a girl. A few months later, I read in the news they caught the real rapist. All five foot five of him with a shaved head and some bum fluff around his face. Ashy. Nothing like my brother. But we all look the same to them, so whatever. So... I'm sitting in a police station and I'm trusting these people to do their job. Part of me just wants to walk out because there's nothing I can do to help them. They got me in, they must be grasping for straws. But it's the least I can do for that woman because she did not deserve what happened to her. No one does. I love going in that shop and I really liked her. Because she wasn't like the usual shopkeepers who would watch you up and down every single aisle. In this shop, the woman would see me come in, she'd give me a smile and she disappeared in the back and she'd shout, Call us when you're ready, love. She might have had a CCTV camera in the back watching me anyway, but I get the feeling she did things on trust. You just know when someone's like that. And that's what she must have done when the man that killed her came into the shop just one day after I had been there. Someone passed my name onto the police as someone in the area at the time the murder happened. Yeah, I was sitting in a truck up the road, waiting for my mates to get in so we could get going. I did notice that the shop was closed and dark, which was odd for that time of day, but... 
I already bought what I needed the day before for this charity thing, so never thought too much of it. So, a detective, Constable Grey, wants me to call and give a witness statement. I don't think I'm going to be any use, but if I put it off any longer, they're going to think I'm hiding something. I call the cops, and to minimise any disruption to my life, I put on my speaky, spoky voice just to get through it. Hello, DC Grey. My name is La La La, and I'm supposed to call you and tell you what I saw. And his posh voice comes back. Great. Could you just tell me exactly what you saw? Even though I point out I wasn't in the shop on the day, he wants all the details. Who did I see? What was the woman behind the counter like? Was there anyone else in the shop? What time of day was I there? Oh, that's fantastic. Great detail, says the detective. And just then, when I think I'm off the orc, he says, So, when can you come in to give a full statement? Next thing, I'm on my way down the road. I'm walking voluntarily into a police station. The same legendary station that collected all the brothers off the streets during the riots. The same station that picked up my brother when he was 12 and accused him of something he didn't even understand. So there I sit, on full view in the lobby of a police station with the great and infamous of Nottingham passing through. I think I see Ashley Yates led past in handcuffs, so yeah, that's going to get back. Got the desk sergeant smirking at me, wondering why I've just walked in there and why I know a cop's full name and I'm not even foaming at the mouth. And every time a cop comes through, they're, they're eyeing me up, like they know me from somewhere. And then they stand giggling behind the counter and I start to think that maybe this, this DC Grey must be some kind of pervert or something. Because I don't see the joke. I can't leave. Because how would that look? And then I hear the, the internal door buzz open and I'm not up for confrontation so I will not look up until somebody calls my name. And eventually they do. Playing it cool. I don't look up straight away. I take him in from his shiny shoes, his long grey pants, with his belt and white shirt tucked in with his grey tie and his black face. And he's looking at me like... And I'm looking at him like... Let's say I wasn't the only one doing the speaky-spoky voice on the phone. He leads me into the interview room. The windows are pretty big, but I can see if I jumped out of them, it's pretty high up as well. Why am I thinking this way? I haven't done anything wrong. Unless I fit the profile. I start again, from the beginning... And this time, he writes it all down. I went into the shop the Tuesday afternoon and I was looking for a sleeping bag, trousers, flashlight. 
probably a better bag to carry my stuff. And she sees me come in, the slender little old lady with the short white curly hair, silver rimmed glasses on her short metal chain and the rosy cheek smile. And as she goes into the back in her checkered light blue overalls that she never buttons up, she says, call us when you're ready, love. And I hear the kettle lid slam shut. Yeah, but this time I'm not alone in the shop. I see a red-haired guy with a small red moustache, white short sleeve shirt, pale green tie. Yeah, staring at eye-level pile of khaki pants. He looks like a child. Wow, goes the cop. You just described the assistant manager. He said he was there the day before, but he didn't turn up the day she was killed. What else do you remember? So I described the layout of the shop. I described what I was wearing that day and he stops again. Have you ever thought about joining the police force because we need people with your kind of skills? And I went, nah. But, you know, I'm in full knack mode, so he asks me if I saw any unusual people or vehicles parked outside the next day. And I told him what I saw. A little white taxi cab, and he writes it all down, and then he says, You've got a photographic memory, haven't you? <laughs> like it's a big deal or something. Then he takes me through to where you do the fingerprints, ignoring every last cop on the way. And I like how his shirt's tucked in at the back. And I realise there is no way I could date a cop. Don't care how nice his trousers fit him. But he's very careful. And he looks at me very carefully. And he says, We need to eliminate you from the investigation. As soon as that's done, we'll destroy these records. I promise you. I give him my fingerprints, trying to remember if I've ever committed a crime where I might have left them behind. And the only thing I can think of is, I stole a bauble off the bank Christmas tree because they charged me 20 quid for going seven quid into the red. But they probably didn't notice. I mean, now the cops have got me on record. They can do what they want. Game's up. And I'm walking out the police station, wiping my fingers on a tissue. And I can hear him breathing kind of breathless, kind of nervous. And he hands me his card, checks no one inside is listening. And he says, I'd like you to seriously think about joining up. And before I can laugh in his face, I see his sadness in his eyes as he whispers, please. Say Their Names by Samira Shriverstaff Performed by Will Edgerton In the United Kingdom, black, Asian 
and minority ethnic people die disproportionately as a result of the use of force or restraint by the police. Often, we have no video, but our victims have names too. Adrian Thompson, a black man aged 34, killed by police taser in 2014. Ashton McLean, a black man aged 28 and dad of two, killed by an armoured police vehicle in 2014. Azel Rodney, a black man aged 24, shot on sight six times, four of those in the head by firearms police in 2005. Brian Douglas, a black man aged 33, died in 1995 following a fatal blow to the head by police using a new US style baton. In hospital, his dying words to his sister Brenda were asking her to sort it. Dorothy Cherry Gross, a black mother of six, shot by police in 1985, triggering the riots in Brixton. Paralysed from the waist down due to her injuries, she died prematurely in 2011 after spending 26 years in a wheelchair. Christopher Alder, a black man aged 38 and former British Army paratrooper who served in the Falklands, died in custody in 1998. Dalian Atkinson, a black 48-year-old and former Aston Villa football star, was killed by police taser in 2016. Darren Cumberbatch, a black man aged 32, died in custody when seven officers entered a small toilet cubicle and deployed brutal force in 2017. He was struck by batons, tasered multiple times, sprayed with an incapacitant, punched, stamped on and restrained, all while suffering a mental health crisis. He died nine days later. Derek Bennett, a black man, aged 29 and dad of four, shot by police in 2001. Edson da Costa, a 25-year-old black Portuguese dad of one, died in custody in 2017 following a stop and search. Habib Ullah, an Asian man, aged 39, died in custody in 2008. Ibrahim Assay, a black asylum seeker aged 29, died in custody in 1996. Jacob Michael, a 25-year-old black man, died following restraint in police custody in 2011, just 45 minutes after himself ringing 999 for help. Jean Charles de Menezes, a Brazilian man, aged 27, shot in the head by police after being wrongly identified as a suspected bomber in 2005. Jermaine Baker, a black man aged 28, shot by police in 2015. Jimmy Mubenga, a 46-year-old Angolian black man and dad of five, died in custody whilst being deported on a plane by private security guards. Joy Gardner, a 40-year-old Jamaican black woman died in police custody whilst being detained for deportation in 1993. She stopped breathing and collapsed following restraint. Her five-year-old son was with her at the time. Kevin Clark, a black man aged 35, 
died in custody in 2018. Kingsley Burrell, a black man aged 29, died in custody in 2011. Leon Briggs, a black man aged 39, died in custody in 2013. Leon Patterson, a mixed heritage man, aged 31, died in custody in 1992. Mark Duggan, a 29-year-old mixed heritage man, was shot by police in 2011. His death sparked the riots in Tottenham and beyond. Michael Powell, a black man, aged 38 and dad of three, died in custody in 2003. MZ Mohammed, an 18-year-old autistic black teenager, died in 2016 in the custody of 18 police officers at a shopping centre with a helicopter overhead. Nuno Cardoso, a 25-year-old black law student, died in custody in 2017. Olusheni Lewis, a 23-year-old black man receiving treatment in hospital, died in custody after being held down by 11 police officers while gasping, I can't breathe. Oluwashiji Bomi Shiji Lapite, a black refugee aged 34, died in custody from asphyxiation in 1994 after being placed in a neck hold. Rashan Charles, a young black man aged 20, died in custody in 2017. Ricky Bishop, a black man aged 25, died in custody in 2001. Roger Sylvester, a black man aged 30, died in custody in 1999. Sean Rigg, a black musician aged 40, died in custody in 2008. Shiku Bio, a black man aged 32 and trainee gas engineer, died in custody in 2015. Simeon Francis, a black man and dad of one, died in custody in 2020. Trevor Smith, a black man, aged 52, and dad of two, shot by police in 2019. Wayne Douglas, a black man, aged 25, with an underlying heart condition, died in custody after repeatedly being held face down. His death sparked the 1995 riots in Brixton. A year later, Despite the cause of his death being asphyxiation, an inquest upheld the ruling of accidental death. All these victims died in suspicious circumstances following contact with the police. The list is not exhaustive and it says nothing of the hundreds more that have died in prisons, detention centres and even young offenders institutions. One name remains. David Oluwali the first known black man to die in police custody back in 1969. His is the only case where the officers in question were imprisoned. Since then, whilst many of these deaths have been deemed unlawful, not one police officer has faced a criminal conviction. Instead, many have been awarded anonymity. The UK is not innocent. Systemic racism in our country is real and it needs to be owned. Say their names.